0: Welcome to Warhammer 40k Book Club. This is episode number six, in which we're discussing Black Legion by Aaron Dimsky Bowden. I'm Jen Bozier, And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. Every episode, we discuss a book that we've selected from the Black Library's Warhammer 40,000 catalog. We post the book on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, along with questions to ponder during reading. Listeners are able to read the book and then tune in to hear our discussion. We encourage participation via Twitter, the site, or encrypted box channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go ahead and visit the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this post as we'll be discussing the book start to finish in great detail. As mentioned, this episode, we're discussing Black Legion by Aaron Dubsky Boden. The book is the sequel to Talon of Horus and continues the story of Iskander Kane and the rise of the Black Legion. we posted several questions to our followers and ourselves, So let's dive on in. So first off, the same question we always start with. Did you like the book?
1: Eh. (laughs) I mean. I'm. Okay. It was well written. Yes. The story was entertaining. Mm -hmm. But
0: at the end I was like. Cool story, bro. (laughs) Same. I, I loved the parts. But I'm not sure that I loved the whole. There were a lot of really great conversations, a lot of great scenes um, from when we talk about which parts really stood out to you. I have so many pages dog-eared, it's ridiculous. I really enjoyed parts of it. But the same thing, I got to the end and my first reaction was, and? I think I even texted you, I was like, what's the point? Yeah. I,
1: I don't have an answer. And my biggest thing with it, what's the point, is that I even asked you later, like, are we sure this is a trilogy? And I asked that because if this is a trilogy, this <laughs> okay, I made a comment like last week that Aram Dinsky Bowden is the GR is the GRM of the Warhammer 40k universe, and that's just because like he just doesn't care, he just kind of kills everybody. But uh I'm beginning to think that might be the case if this is becomes not a trilogy, because... Wouldn't that make him the Robert Jordan? No, 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 because GRRM, he said that uh, Song of Ice and Fire was going to be a trilogy. and Oh. And then... Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, I do. I remember that. So does Pep- Pepperidge Farm. Yeah, <laughs> Pepperidge Farm definitely remembers. And then it was going to be five books. hmm And then seven, and now he's talking eight, maybe ten.
0: Yeah, it's never going to end, so no. don't even buy it. Um, But, so the reason I think we both came to that conclusion is that the first book, Talent of Horus, details what they consider to be the first Black Crusade. Right? Um, Them going to kill uh, Horus. Or really, Fabius Bile. Fabulous Bill? Fabulous Bill, yes. Um, This book explains them going and it it details an epic fight that has been canon forever. The dual, the final, final showdown between Abaddon and Sigismund. Um, but that's like the second Black Crusade. We're on the 13th. So for the third book, is he just going to kind of encompass 3 through 12, like in one chapter and then focus on the 13th? That, I like the descriptions enough that I really would, I wouldn't mind having an actual detailing of all the Crusades, but. I don't know if, if I can read eight, 12 more books. 12 more books, I know, right? Well, there's that. And more importantly, I I think I would have liked this book a lot more had it been, or I would have I felt that it had more bearing, had it been more about the Crusade itself and less about iskander kane's adventures and being shackled to another dude well
1: i mean that was kind of like at the very end you kind of find that out i mean it well in
0: the beginning and in the middle i mean if you had to argue what the main plot is of this it's him being tied to another dude and having to free himself yeah but he doesn't know that he's
1: tied to him that's true until like probably at the midway point I mean, he just knows that he's like been attached to. Basically, what we're what we were having is this potential power struggle uh-huh. between these two different people who are trying to unite their own, uh, I guess, exile legions. Uh-huh. And neither one of them will either. right. Neither one of them is willing to compromise uh-uh. with one another. So basically, you kind of have like two asshole douchebags trying to fight. The other asshole douchebag i mean right Um because that's kind of how i really
0: feel about abaddon in in this book for for sure uh, yeah well actually let's since we always like to kind of hop around let's jump to that really quickly mm-hmm. because i feel like it's hard i feel like it really gives it gives more color to any discussion about the book this abaddon is very different than the abaddon that we met in talon of horus in fact i would argue that I was very taken aback by Abaddon and Talon of Horus. This is closer to the traditional depiction of Abaddon.
1: Really kind of the way I was, I was writing a lot of parallels between um, Horus Rising and False Gods to these two books. And it's because Abaddon and Horus Rising was very likable. He was like how he was in Talon of Horus. And mm-hmm. in um, False Gods, he was not. And it was almost kind of the same arrogant douchebag here. Um, right. Not only that, but the other one I couldn't help but notice is that Abaddon. You know, suddenly having only counsel with Moriana, I'm like, wow, we've seen this before. When Erebus came on the ship, and suddenly uh, Horus wasn't talking to his Mornival anymore. He just had Erebus yammering in his ear.
0: Well. And we'll talk about we'll talk about more about that when we talk about Mariana. There's a lot of parallels there. But this part of me takes it that when they met Abaddon before in the first book, when he's on the Vengeful Spirit, he needs to get off the vengeful spirit. He needs something from these guys. And so he needs to get the
1: vengeful spirit
0: off back and running. Off the planet. (laughs) Yeah. And he needs these guys to get started. And he's had this vision of this long war and of fighting under this new legion and he needed these guys. So it felt very, to me, I took it very much as last book was him being the politician. I need something from you. So I'm going to be very charming. I'm going to come off as very reasonable and downright likable really because I need something from you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And this book, several years have passed. He doesn't need anything from them really anymore. he's already secured their loyalty he's already secured a legion legion pretty much he doesn't need anything from them anymore and now he's power hungry which is kind of what happened with horus i mean oh yeah completely yeah and it's it's i mean there's a lot of parallels there in this abaddon I the funny thing is is that by the end of the first book, I maybe mean, we even talked about this in the podcast. I liked Abaddon. Mm-hmm. I was even by how much I liked him. Couldn't stand him in this book. No, <sighs> Not, which to be fair, maybe that's maybe that's how I'm supposed to feel about him. But he was just unlikable, and every interaction with Abaddon, I was like, "Ugh, this guy's a jerk." Very a um, you now. T-
1: I go back to like how he wasn't uh, maybe not even false gods but by the third book and the name is uh, escaping me right right now they're all they're starting to blur together and I'm only
0: on books galaxy seven? and flames I don't even remember yes, you're galaxy on in- six, because you're in descent of angels right yeah
1: okay yeah again starting to blur together um you about galaxy and flames like I could not stand the sky it's like oh my gosh he's running his mouth again can someone please shut him up because what happened to the guy who was so kind to everybody and who's willing to listen to everybody and now in you know false gods, he's ready to kill this remembrancer for just asking a simple question of what did Erebus give you? You know, um, like which the answer to that is we had Erebus poisoning everybody. But at the same time though, you know, you have to wonder like how much of that is really part of them that he just you know just kind of unlocked that potential to become a total jerk uh-huh. and I kind of see you know the same thing with, with Abaddon but, and like you said he needed people so he needed he needed to be nice and be like yes we're all going to be a brotherhood and a family and now that he's kind of in charge and you know the big kahuna he's just like yeah I'm um, so like what have you guys done for me lately yeah, I'm just picking my nails and like what are you doing for me
0: well and on one hand i have you
1: done what i asked
0: you to do that scene and they started the book with it too that scene it was a good on one hand it was a great scene because it was very much an intro to this is not the abaddon from last book um and to be fair i understand kane hasn't quite gotten the job done after multiple times but when Abaddon says to him he's like do I strike you as the type of guy who accepts failure it was like oh that's not, even Kane said that he's like I'm pretty much walking into my death right now mm-hmm. and just as callous as he is so there's a, there's several examples of that in the book but the one that really struck me is when they uh, go to meet what's his name? Daravec when they go to meet Daravec and he has a champion who steps forward, and of course Telemachus like I got this because I'm an emperor's child and I'm also master swordsman. And Abaddon's like, no, Kane, you do it, knowing that yes, Kane's a swordsman because he's a Space Marine, but that's not exactly his forte. No, he's a sorcerer. He's an assassin. And was
1: the was the first thing, Dirt? Derevek says, Oh, no witchcraft. <laughs> no met. Ma- was like, Was it no magic? And he was just like,
0: Ugh, that word. <laughs> I do love how much he hates that word. But that was very callous of him, right? I mean, that was just. And in Kate even says, He's like, well, Here's my punishment. Mm-hmm. Which.
1: And then he survived. Abaddon's like, See, you found your hate. I'm like, you know, very nice of you to find a lesson in him, you know, surviving. Your punishment. What what would you have done if he died?
0: And like, oh, well. I guess I gotta find another one. You know? I mean, that was a really good scene of his callousness. Uh, I think the other scene that we talked about is, of course, when they meet the Warp Ghosts, and who offer to lead them out of the rift, and they ask Darabek and Horus for payment. And Darabek is oh I'll give you all these ships and I'll give you all these dudes and they turn to Horus and Horus says whatever you need
1: well because they didn't they didn't specifically ask for payment they said we want a sacrifice and Derivek promising all these ships and he was promising Abaddon stuff that was the best part whereas Cain's like wow he's this is like really really bold he's like promising these things that he doesn't even have and um but that's not a sacrifice that's that isn't right
0: that's that's not something that's painful to you to uh t- to lose and well the thing that i thought was interesting though i mean because on one hand it's very clever mm-hmm. take whatever you need very clever um but he had no idea what that would be like i think he i think he suspected right like i think he. just Expected that they would be something painful, but the thing that struck me the most—and I know that they don't care about the mortals—but where Cain is saying, he's like, "We have literally no idea what this cost us in humans." Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it cost the Well, Kai.
1: Well, going back to the humans, not only because they uh, went through—you know—because remember, remember these ships are basically flying cities. Yeah, and they went down. To where, like, the crew is, which is the humans and even the mutants. And they were having children. They talk about how so many of them were born in the warp or born on the vengeful spirit. This is all that they've known. And uh-huh. the warp ghosts came down and took anybody that had any psych or ability, which meant yep. children. So you think about that. Even though they're mutants, they still love their children. They didn't agree. They, like, well, we did not sign on for you to give away our children like this? So it's that's a huge risk because now you might have all these mortals mm-hmm. ready to leave as soon as possible. As soon as we get to and plan it, plan it outside.
0: Peace. We're done. Yeah. I don't. I don't think Nuba Dab exists at this point. But yeah, as soon as they get to Nubedab, you might lose some of your crew. But so it's it's interesting to me because it's this very very, I mean, I would almost argue it's a 180 for Abaddon, that he goes from just being this very kind of I mean, he wasn't, I'm not gonna say he was like a chill dude but he was definitely more charismatic and he seemed like he cared more and this is, nope, not not a single fuck to give if it comes between him and his destiny getting what he wants right, which, so let's jump ahead to that one So, Mariana's reach in the Warhammer 40k universe is staggering. Do we trust her in here? What do we think her motives are? I have no idea. Um, so this is my first time reading about her. Right, you haven't read the Iron Warrior stories. No, I have not. Okay. So, um,
1: so I I found, I know like I wrote this down, yeah. That It turns out that Moriana was a, one of the founders of the Inquisition, so that's fascinating. So somehow, and so she's the founder of the Inquisition, which means that she did not live during the time of the Horse Heresy. During all that, because this is several hundred years later, but yet somehow she's like this eternal being.
0: I suspect she's a perpetual. Meaning, I haven't or- gotten to these... Oh, Perpetuals are people who, like, Vulcans are Perpetual. You can get killed and you come back. Deus um, <laughs> so Machina. You know? Anyway, <laughs> I still don't know how I feel about the Perpetual thing. I won- I've always wondered about her if she was maybe part of the Cabal, which you'll learn about when you get to Legion. The Cabal is a group of Xenos, primarily Eldar, who are trying to control the fate of the galaxy and you'll meet a ton of characters that are part of the cabal um part of me wonders if maybe she's part of that group because they have two immortal humans well they had to i don't i think damon prate is still alive and john grammaticus who have they're from like old earth they're from like our time Mm -hmm. so I've always kind of wondered if maybe she was part of that group because she served the Imperium for a while and then she jumps over. Right. So, and there might be a story that explains this. The only time that I ever saw her is in the Iron Warriors book. They go to hunt her down because that's how Hansu figures out where the demon Makar is. Is he goes and he talks to her because she's been banished from Abaddon. Oh, okay. So when she showed up in here, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that she, like, served him for a while and apparently leads him to Drachnayan. Which... She's rather... uh, Which, that's the thing that also makes me think she might be part of the Cabal. Because she is real excited for him to find the Drachnayan.
1: Which I'm guessing is another talking sword.
0: Oh yeah, it's the talking sword. The talking sword! So like... All the other talking swords were like the rings that were given to the elves and men, but they all <laughs> deceived because there was Draconian. Yeah, which I don't even really. I I want to read more about it, but maybe with a less meandering, onto other things. But Moriana, I the character is just so weird to me, and I don't when she appeared. You know, I had that moment of ah, oh, and then I was kind of like, oh okay <laughs> well i hate the cabal i hate that plot thread and once you read legion i'll be really interested to see if you're kind of agreeing with me on this one or if you don't get that same vibe so once i kind of especially with the, her pressuring for Drachonaya, and i was like oh i bet she's cabal and now i hate her get her off the paper see that just reminded me of erebus
1: so much oh. just the constant you know lot of parallels to erebus like, like, uh, hey This way. This way. You should go do the evil stuff. Don't listen to them.
0: Listen to me. I just came in your life. But listen to me. (laughs) But, like Erebus, I just came into your life, and I'm telling you all the things you want to hear. Like, I'd call her a sycophant if she wasn't clearly playing her own angle. No, I really
1: did, um... Enjoy when uh, Kane had her escorted back to her
0: quarters. That scene was amazing. In fact, I actually, so what parts really stood out to you in the book? That was one of them when he talks about how it's the first time he even felt a little bit of fear in her. <laughs> I liked later when he was like, I kind of regretted having Nefertari guard her so well. <laughs> that was great. Okay, so um,
1: Nefertari. Yeah. The hell? How
0: is she here? Uh, So apparently she didn't die, because remember, the only way she can die is if she knows she's dead, and technically he just knocked the sense out of her. He didn't tell her she was dead. But if you're talking about how is an Eldar on the other side is in the Eye of Terror, because Ash. No, no. I thought she was pretty dead. I think that's the reason, because if you remember... I even said this last podcast that it was kind of a weird little conversation when all of a sudden Abaddon was like, how is she still alive? She feels dead. And he was like, oh, it's because I've tricked her basically into thinking that she's still alive. And he was like, oh, so for her to die, she'd have to know she was dead. It was a really weird little interaction. Right. I, but I think I, it was put in there just to explain why she's still alive. I guess, I guess I just didn't interpret it that way as that as being the only way. Well, it's she dies. I might be reading too much into it but that was kind of what i think that's when when she appeared in this book i was like oh right because she has to know she has to find out she's dead i i think that's really the only way that i can interpret that or unless you just pieced her back together again like you did the first time <laughs> ew um her in general so actually rather than talking about the parts that st- stand out to us um there's another thing that i kind of want to talk about Cain, Cain speaks a lot about loyalty to Abaddon, but his descriptions of him are never really favorable, right? So I'm not really sure what to make of his loyalty. And the only thing that I think, and you and I have kind of talked about this, is that it just strikes me is that he has issues. <laughs> he has some dependency issues, and Nefertari is a really good example of that, too. Have you noticed how many times he talks about like being close to her or touching her and then being like I mean neither of us find each other attractive though but there's always this like he talks a lot about her the way that they interact with one another and the way she looks and all this kind of stuff like I'm not even sure if he's loyal to anybody so much as he's just desperate for companionship from whoever
1: I mean that very well could be I mean, we saw it
0: with, um, with the stuff with the
1: Zara. Yeah, I mean, but you know, I guess that's an after effect also of watching what Ariman did. Yeah. And watching your legion just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Forcing your father to bend his, bend his knee. Uh, right. You know, just kind of all of that culminating. And he even talked about in Talon of Horus, how it was just him and Asher Kai for so long... He'd forgotten what it was like to actually talk to other people. So I was like, "Well, right, I guess that you and your... surrounded himself with It's like I guess you and your former master didn't have some conversations, but sounds like that Asher Kai was not
0: one for small talk. Right. Well, and he talks about how it was just those two. Which there's, I mean, I love you, but there's only so many conversations we can have for like a hundred years on a ship together. And, but he surrounded himself with the rubricate, but he had the issues with Itzara. He was crushed with the death of Geyer, right? He really often talks about Nefertari. And he proclaim- he professes this extreme loyalty, but he really doesn't have anything nice to say. I mean, Telemachan, barely disguised loathing. How many times has he talked about how many times they try to kill each other over mm-hmm. the century? Right. Really the only
1: person I think he even likes besides Falkus and even Falkus he's kind of like yeah you're second born so it's kind of weird um, is, is
0: Leor. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the only person that he's genuinely like yeah this guy's cool. Anyway. Maybe now Ilyaster. Yeah Ilyaster a little bit too. Mainly because uh, he's funny. <laughs> another one which I'm always like funny space marines this is great um but yeah it but it's, it's kind of weird right it just it feels like he has all these dependency issues oh man you you can write a case about that for
1: all of them i mean yeah, i you funny. know i just finished reading um ferris manis uh, the, the primark novel and the whole time i'm just like oh my gosh how many times is this guy gonna be like why is no one paying attention to me
0: They just need to deploy like an army of psychoanalysts.
1: The only thing I could think of is I I guess that's that's what would happen if you have, you know, 17 other siblings. You're all
0: trying to, you know, vie for that attention. Mm -hmm. Some way, somehow. You know, we've said this before, and I'll keep saying it, is that these people, whether it's Primark or Space Marine, they're bred for war. And yeah, you could argue some diplomacy and stuff like that. But they're given all of these very practical skills but they're never really taught how to kind of handle their emotions and so i think that's why everything bubbles so close to the surface or even on the ones who like gulliman right still waters but when he does lose it he loses it right like when he when he dresses down freighter matthew and everybody cheered the best uh, part of that book <laughs> <laughs> and um but you know they all have this like big big guys like feeling these big emotions right that they don't really handle all that well and i think kane kane's a little bit like that which is interesting and i don't know if that's intentional or if it's just kind of the way it comes across
1: well i think it's also because as kane mentions like i i think it really is three times you know because when abaddon kept saying like you know where's your hate Why don't you have your hate? Don't you hate the Emperor? He was like, no. Like, I don't hate the Emperor. I don't hate the Space Wolves. You know, he's so I hate. It's like, the only thing I hate is that I hate that we were, you know, I hate that the Space Wolves were tricked and betrayed, which was by Abaddon's father, by the way. And he's, you know, constantly. He also says, he's like, I don't have any hate because I never had
0: a choice to hate. Right. And yet, so he says that. And I, now, granted, this could be because he's narrating 10,000 years, right? But on page 96, he says, actually, one of my favorite parts is that when he says, um, We have little idea which thin-blooded newborn conclave of hypno-indoctrinated soldiers is hurling at itself at us with oaths of the emperor himself would have found insane. That's so lovely. But then he later says, our hatred is still hot. Our wounds are still fresh. It has always been this way and shall always remain so. Time cannot dilute the venom that flows through our hearts. So I don't know if that's saying that he eventually does very much find hate. Maybe he never hates the wolves, but he does hate the Imperium in general.
1: The Imperium, yes, but I'm saying, like, the Emperor in specific, he's like, no. oh, yeah, no. He's like, no, not not really. Like, he didn't make the order for right. the Space Wolves to burn Prospero.
0: Yeah, that would have been Horus.
1: Yeah, that'd be... I and mean, Nabilon, you were kind of cool with that. Yeah, you were like, <sighs> madman. Yeah. I mean it's And why did Horace do that, by the way? Um
0: probably because he knew that Magnus was gonna go warn Daddy. Pretty much. Well, and that he was kind of dragging his feet to the hole. Anyways, they're a complicated bunch. Um but so speaking of that a little bit, Cain's description of the warp and warpcraft and demons. It feels increasingly glib. I'm not entirely sure I trust him as a narrator. I'm sure. So, like last book, I think I used the Obi One Kenobi thing of, well, what he's saying is true from a certain point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think that's still true. I'm just not sure I trust a certain point of view. Well, the way I kind of took it, is that it didn't really feel that
1: much glib to me as more as more of a because as he said we never had a choice this is how it is now mm-hmm. this is just how it is yep these things happen you know why because I didn't have a choice I was thrust into the eye I didn't really have a choice to be here and I've done what I've had to do
0: to survive It's just how it is well the thing that struck me was that in the very beginning he talks about how they have a phrase they say he is known by the gods And they don't always use it as a positive. It's when like, you know, people start to mutate and stuff like that. And he mentioned in Talon of Horus how unattractive his mutations were to the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. And he mentions in this book, remember when he talks about getting his fake arm? He talks about how he's like, oh yeah, it's mutated all to hell now. Like how it has these these hooks, these barbs and all this stuff coming out of it, right? Now again, maybe it's because so much time has passed. But in this, in both of these books, he talks about these people who have these mutations and he's like, ugh. But then also out of the other side of his mouth, he's like, yeah, look at mine. I got I got hooks and stuff in my hands. Cool.
1: Uh, actually, one thing, I, I even took a note about that. I really, really liked um, him explaining the mutations um, with, with the warp that, you know, it's based on, you know, the sins that the warp finds in you and it, and it manifests them externally. It's like, I forget who it was he saw but he had like I don't know some kind of spines coming out of his back or out of his head and he was like makes me wonder what
0: he had going on in his heart to, for that to manifest yep which I find so interesting and I really do love his descriptions and his explanations of them I just am not always sure because a lot of times he talks about and I have to find where I highlighted this phrase but he said um, ah the um the ruinous powers he said uh they don't obey us it uses us it elevates us for the purpose of its own wins it is a force of honesty true making us wear our sins on our armored skin but it's also the essence of absolute deception shifting and warping whatever it wishes to pursue its conflicting ends it can be used but only if you are willing to be used in return which Again, he talks about, like, how, oh, no, 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 this is totally fine, you just have to be cautious with it, but, you know, I mean every now and then you just have to kind of use it a little bit. So it, it just kind of feels like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth sometimes to me. So I'm like, yeah, you're talking about, like, you hate this stuff, but then you're also, like, I mean, it's cool. Well, again, I think it's just
1: one of those, like, well, I'm in the eye. I gotta right. do what
0: I gotta do. When in Rome. Right. Right, that's totally fair, too. um So... Cain, along those lines, Kane talks a lot about how difficult life is in the Warp. And it's actually one of the things that I love. Like in last book, he had a specific thing where he talks about how many wars they've fought over mm-hmm. clean water. And he had a big section in here where he talks about how he, right before the Void battle, where he's like, first off, let me explain a little something about our armada really quickly. And he talks about how he's like, all of our stuff is old. It's falling apart Mm -hmm. it's from the heresy and before that we have to like steal stuff and uh just yeah and when he talks about like how we don't have any farms or mechanicum places building us new stuff and shipping us food everything has to be fought for right Which kind of what mad max i mean yeah grimdark mad max pretty much (laughs) for demons (laughs) You take Mad Max, and then you go even grimmer and darker. Uh, yeah, no, it pretty much is what it is. And it it's funny, and I did write an article about this, because on one hand, Cain and Abaddon and everybody else, they seem so civil and rational, and Cain especially, very polite, and very straightforward. And yet there's this barbarism and evil to them, right? Like again, when he's like, oh yeah, I can't tell you how many people I've, cl- I've killed over clean water. Whoa. And you know that when they're stealing the stuff that they're stealing, it's it's not like, you know, they're not buying it. Right. But again, yeah. like a,
1: it's like one of those like this is how it is now. <laughs> right. Gotta do what we
0: gotta do. Well we got we need clean water. Right, which and it's also those little logical things that you're like, Oh oh yeah, that's true actually. <laughs> which That was one of my favorite scenes um, when they first meet the Black Templars. Mm -hmm. When they first cross them, and they're like, How long have we been gone from the Imperium? Right. They talk about the Mark IV power armor, and they're like, Yeah, we saw like two suits of this, and now everybody's wearing it. That's pretty crazy. Same time, it's
1: time to harvest some armor. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah, and they talk about that exclusively in those Night Lords books where that's how you get new armor (laughs) whether it's from your guys or their guys just get it and repaint it it's fine.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, hell, uh, in Revolutionary War, you know, there weren't enough muskets for uh, the Americans so they had to stand in the back so they could just have like the numbers and then if their compatriots or the British fell, they had to take theirs. That was...
0: Yep. Oh, no, it's very much as yeah. you do. But it's, it's just those little things that you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Chaos doesn't have great benefits or infrastructure.
1: No. <laughs> no. At all. I'm just not really imagining that there's um, much food or water on these planets that are within the eye.
0: Nothing nothing you wanna put in your body at any rate.
1: Mm.
0: Even as a space marine. Uh, so one of the big scenes that I really want to spend time talking about is, of course, the death match <laughs> Sigismund versus Zabaddon. So we always knew that this was coming and this was a thing. And it's the whole reason that the Black Templars could exist exist is because Sigismund just couldn't let it go. <laughs> Or calm down. That was actually okay, so I only met
1: Sigismund in um, Flight of the Eisenstein. That okay. was that's the only that's my only interaction with him. And so I didn't know that there was some big face-off between Sigismund and, and Abaddon. Um thing I loved about this though, first of all, I love that Abaddon was like, Sigismund, it's so good to see you. Like yes! let's let's catch up. <laughs> Like, I can't believe you're here. This is so
0: great. Whereas Sigismund like, is just like, Well, it wasn't just that. It was the fact that he was like, Okay, cool. Why don't you come join us now? Like, right. And that was like the old Abaddon that we saw when it was, he wasn't just like, Fuck you. He got up there and was like, Okay, cool. Come join us now. I mean, it was just Christ like, Hey, buddy,
1: I haven't seen you in like 10,000 years. Like, what's up? Like, what's That's
0: going really on? Like, a thousand at this point but yeah i mean right. like it's been a spell
1: and over Sigismund's just like well oh, they're here <laughs> just,
0: these fucking people oh yeah well even says he's just like i knew it i told everyone you'd be back and but it kind of it kind of broke my heart a little bit in a way that yeah abaddon was like oh, oh my god and then again his next thing instead of launching into it like he didn't recognize it for what it was. He I honestly believe that Abaddon thought that he could just talk some sense, and then Sigismund would be like, Yeah, okay, good plan. Oh, you know like, like what Fulgrim tried to do? Yeah. Like he gave it the old college try. Hey, buddy, pretty cool over on this side. <laughs> it's not. We know the truth. But we have cookies. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like really old and i don't know that i would trust them they have a tentacle and but yeah i mean it's that part made me really sad and then i loved how respectful abaddon was that it wasn't this you know again he didn't turn into, like the snarling oh, foolish lapdog of the emperor no like he bowed and he respected him and even cain Kane's description of the battle is very reverent. My favorite line is when he talks about like how it's been a thousand years and Sigismund is just slowed down to our speed. Right. Right. When he talks about how this is like the finest swordsman the Imperium has ever known and yeah, he's just now slowing down to like a terminator's speed. Which Oh my gosh, I got chills reading the whole thing, because I was like, oh, this is so good.
1: I think my favorite line in that was just uh, explaini- explaining why Sigismund
0: is still there. It's like, the man just refused to die. It's like- <laughs> oh, he was so angry. It's So that's, that's kind of the basis for the angry marines, when you see them online. Like, that's kind of the basis for it, the... The Black Templars were just too pissed off. <laughs> That's why they don't have a home world, really, or a base. They're just constantly traveling to go kill shit. They are so angry. And it's because Sigismund just couldn't let it go. Well, they're Again, from the. Not dealing with their emotions. They're from the Imperial Fists, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was. Sigismund, I think, was the. I'm pretty sure, was the first captain. I think, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they just couldn't let it go which is so delightful and he was refusing
1: to die in the end he had to get some last words in <laughs> uh yeah i oh it was yeah. so great oh it was so great and i loved it was great and all of the sass and then yet there wasn't enough of it you know yeah or i was just like so i keep because Cain couldn't be there. He was ordered to stay on the ship to be with um, Ultio. And so he was kind of like tapping in and out, trying trying to see, I um, forget through whose eyes. and but, but then just as it was getting good, he gets yanked back out. And the next thing we hear is Abaddon is wounded. He may be on death's door. I was like, well, that's a lot of kind of, you know, description that's missing now.
0: The only thing that I can think of, is that i don't know if it was that aaron Demsky bowden didn't feel as though he had the prowess to accurate like to do the justice to the fight or if he wanted you to let your imagination do it's kind of like in a horror movie like really good horror movies what you don't see is often more powerful than what you do mm-hmm. so i don't know if maybe he was like look i want to leave this to your inference because later when he's talking when kane's talking to uh, abaddon he says, he's like, you know, what happened? And he's like, oh, yeah, you knife straight uh, sword straight through it, buried it to the hilt. And they kind of tell it in retrospect, which kind of gives you a little more picture. But I was a little disappointed, too. And I even read the scene aloud to my husband. And he was like, and? Right. That's it. That's it. Cain had to go do something on the on the ship.
1: No, because, so- you know, speaking of those who won't die, Daravik had to be had to just yeah had to follow them out of the eye
0: yeah which i understood them saying that basically they latched on to kane as a beacon mm-hmm. but on the other hand if you could just latch onto a beacon outside of the eye did you need the warp ghosts
1: well but uh Daravik had a very special beacon with Cain. He had a piece of his soul. <laughs> well, I mean, Daravik didn't have anybody else's souls.
0: Well, that's true, but that, I'm not gonna lie. When I read that, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of a cop-out. Well, like, the, the whole thing was, to me, that whole
1: relationship between the two was kind of a cop-out. Especially when you find out that, no, it Daravik did not kill him. Uh-uh. He just happened to be like, hey, Look at that. Look at that little demon spirit there. That's important to him. I'm just going to take it.
0: Yeah. The whole thing felt a little... ...weird. I, that was the only part of the book that I... And that's the only thing I think that, again, that keeps me from loving this book. The whole of the book. Was that, I was like, oh. Okay. I guess that's interesting. I don't really care. It doesn't... That, and I understand because he's the narrator. This is first person point of view. What happened to you is always gonna be more important than what happened to like everything else going around, right? Right. Why, like, like,
1: and to be honest, he's not in a rush. True. He's already yeah. said he's like, I'll tell you everything. And and that's fine. It's tough that, again, that that's more than fine. But how's this gonna relate to a trilogy? I mean, again, mm-hmm. I don't really want to read another
0: thirteen book series. And on the other hand, I also don't want to read a book in which they cram hit it the all together. Yeah like i don't know maybe it's gonna be a quad quad? shoot i can't think of the name for one a book it's a four book series um how much i said quadrilateral but that's geometry (laughs) a quadrilogy yeah i guess if you know what that word is let us know um but you're the linguistics major you should know this shit. that's why i'm really embarrassed right now (laughs) Um, it's a quadrilateral, and <laughs> it has four sides, it has- um, but I don't, yeah, I'm not, sh- again, it, it just feels a little weird, and again, when you have this epic battle between Sigismund and Abaddon, I care so much more about that than I do about you having to put your wolf down a second time. Yeah, when that happened, I was like, Okay. I actually thought that was going to upset you a little bit more. No. I'd already gotten over. I like, mean, I
1: had, I already went through it once, you know. Can't I? Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Um, but yeah,
0: that one, I was like, oh, a little bit more of this, please. No, I was more upset about Ashra Kai, so. So that i think probably gets us into our favorite parts what parts of the book just really struck you i think we both agreed when asher kai gets taken from start to finish the warp ghosts show up they're claiming psychers. they try to take asher kai the two things that struck me most well actually, the three things one kane flat out says he's like i wish i could tell you that i fought for my old master i didn't two Ultio loses her mind Mm -hmm. and is like, nope, you're not taking my Psyker, that's not happening. And the way that Asher Kai de-escalates the situation is by calling her Itzara. Mm
1: -hmm. It's like he he knew, like he probably saw this in a prophecy. He knew that this was going going to happen. Or when Saneros, whatever, Came on board the ship, he knew that was him in the future.
0: Which, that'd be a little weird. Going to fetch your younger self. Yeah, but if. And I actually of... thought the reveal of that was really good. You had the. Uh oh.
1: Oh, go ahead. <laughs> and I was like, it all of a sudden locked up there for a second. Um, well, I mean. You know, going back to what you're trying to explain to me um, with Lorgar and the first heretic. You know, if time's a loop, then yeah, the future self is going to come and get
0: his past self. And that's also an Aaron boden book, which we've already seen. Um, if you've read the first heretic, you know that it's Lorgar who goes back in time and scatters the Primarchs. And so this concept of you are destined to keep doing this thing... Mm-hmm and so yeah it, and Asher Kai I imagine if they had come like even if it had been old Iskander Kane had come back to him he'd be like uh no but Asher Kai of course if your older version comes to you if you from the future comes to you and says okay it's time to go now you'd be like okay because again
1: sense. I think he saw it in a prophecy and not only that but, but Asher... just sense to him, or you know in Asher Kai he was he was the reason why Kane would have reacted that way is because Cain doesn't believe in fate or destiny. Right? Asher
0: Kai does. Yes. He does. And not only, but I loved the reveal of it. Mm-hmm. I loved that when his crow, right before he fades away, is kind of scratching at the armor. And that's when, that's when Cain is like, wait a minute.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah, that part, that scene affected me way more than I thought I was going to.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, that was probably the most emotional scene of, of the, the whole book for me. Mm-hmm. Including all the times
0: that I laughed. I laughed a bunch, too.
1: My favorite, um, I'm going to pull it up. Favorite thing that, it actually kind of made me, like, guffaw. And my kids were <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? It is on page 90 when Cain meets with Akalir the Erudite he's like ah, Akalir the Erudite I said banner bearer for Bejarra's company I read your treatise on the significance of iambic pentameter in cantori summoning
0: verse oh my god
1: I lost it (laughs) yes
0: I laughed really hard about that too especially since the guy's like those days are behind me
1: (laughs) right like I don't write uh, research papers on literature anymore
0: (laughs) yeah I don't who has time for a treatise I'm killing people um, yes, I loved it was just a really random thing yes. to somebody on and uh, yes, I also laughed at that
1: and of course, well, of course the best part for me was uh, when they learn about
0: the god emperor oh my god <laughs> no fun intended um, yes, so Moriana refers to the god emperor and everything stops and there's three reactions or two reactions that really matter Telemakin immediately just dies laughing cannot catch his breath they describe him bent at the waist crying sobbing laughing like because at one point he actually got down on all fours and it threw was up. yeah yeah because he's laughing so hard and kane is just like the god emperor the god emperor and it's Telemachan who stands up and says, Lorgar won. And when he said that, I was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> like, why would you word it that way? Don't word it, it that way.
1: It's true. I mean, a Reboot already kind of said it. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, but the fact that the fact that one of the traitor legions was like, oh, <laughs> that cracked me up. And just, again, as much as I hate Telemachan, that description of him just belly laughing, laughing until he pukes. That's pretty amazing. Well, and especially, again, because of that that phrase that I liked when he talks about, um, when he talks about uh, how, the, you know, the space marines throwing them to themselves with uh, proclamations that the emperor would have hated. Mm-hmm. And that's... yeah. <laughs> I like what he says, the God Emperor. I tried to repeat Moriana's words, but my mouth refused to give them shape. <laughs> and just how many times a god, they believed the Emperor was a god. Just, it's amazing. Again, it's this, There's this kind of childlike wonder in this book because there's that scene, and there's also when they run into the Templars, and they're like, "How long have we been gone from mm-hmm. the Imperium?" Where they're looking at all this stuff, and they're like what is this? There's this kind of child-like sense to it. Evil child, like Damien child, but still child. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that, I loved that scene as well. Mine, so my two favorite scenes in this book, because there, my biggest complaint is there was not enough Leor, um, was there's one where um, Kane is all kind of pissy, and pitching Shocker. a fit. Huh? He's pissy the whole book. He really is salty isn't he? But he's kind of angry and he's talking to Leor and he's just like, you know, does, does Abaddon always talk about my failings? How would you feel if he talked about to me about your failings? And Leor kind of sasses him is like believe it or not, I have more important things to do like actually leading armies and fighting battles and stuff and besides, I have no failings. <laughs> I loved it. And then, my favorite line, I'm trying to find what page it's on, is when he's telling Lior when he's, uh, he tells him that we have to leave, right? Or that um, he's telling him his plan. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody has to stay on behind and fight. <laughs> and Lior is like, uh, let's see, what does he say? Um, oh, he says that uh, we're staying we have, it's going to be upset us to stay behind. And Kane's like, Yep. And he's like, Yeah, we're not staying behind because of some nobility. You just want to kill Derek. <laughs> he says, Two correct guesses in the same hour. This is a day of rare genius for you, my brother. Next, you will tell me you'll learn to read. I like that too. <laughs> I laughed really hard at that. I was like, Oh, World Dieter can read, I'm sure. Maybe.
1: I also yeah. love the fact that Leor refuses to learn dialects. Yeah, just says everything in his dialect and doesn't care if it's accurate or not.
0: Yeah, well, it's you know they're very honest people, <laughs> world eaters. Well, I mean, you come clay. You always know what Leor is thinking. Oh yes, which is why this book needed more of him. Thank you. Like Pascenius, he's just gonna like exit off, and I'm gonna be like,
1: where is he? Yes, I do agree. More Leor, more less Telemachan.
0: Please. Please. Mainly because I just can't stand the Emperor's children. Ugh. That intro scene, or not in, not intro, intro, but the one where, um, where Telemachan's dude is kind of trying to bait Leor into a fight. Oh, Zaidu. Zaidu, yeah. When he's trying to bait him into a fight, I just, I don't like his character. And I understand that that's kind of, I understand that's how the, the, it runs and Abaddon kind of thinks that shit's funny but I don't like these people I don't like this yeah I don't like any of this
1: I, I kind of wish that Kane didn't interrupt it and let Lior and uh, Zaidu
0: have it out because I'm pretty sure Lior would have destroyed him yeah me too actually I'm I feel pretty confident and I hate their group's name what was their name it's Like the masquerade oh right which
1: i'm okay well very eldar by the way well i mean so Telemachan, he took his silver pieces and made a mask and i assume that's why it's a masquerade they're very egotistical i mean uh yeah you have abaddon's mornival is called the ezekarian
0: really really oh yeah Look, what I'm referring to my trusted friend group, I refer to you as the Genarian. I hope that you refer to me as the Carryan. No, please don't refer to me as that. It's <laughs> a carry-on bag. I mean... <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, This went weird. I mean, just the egos like, are just so rampant. Of course, I'm left with the easy Carry. I was like, man, and we thought that Ferris manis's name was on the nose. I mean, come on. Well, and the fact that it's grown to
0: like 14 people now it's almost like his own personal lodge it is really actually yes and he was such a proponent of the lodge it makes me feel like that's really what he's created because again once Moriana shows up he pretty much casts them aside right you know so that he can go and talk with her actually talking about Telemachan reminded me of another weird thing with Nefertari is the scene in which uh, Kane he pulls off that feather off of Telemachan's gun, and he's just like, you've been hunting her. And he gets really angry and, like, Mm -hmm. possessive about it, and Telemachan's like, "Mm, you know, slanish gonna slanish. (laughs) That's kind of how I interpret it, too. Yeah, he was basically like, what are you gonna do? Which, he should have kept him neutered, frankly. Yes! When Abaddon was like, does he deserve to be shackled? Yeah, yeah this like Ugh.
1: this is the, like Abaddon. I feel like Abaddon forget, has forgotten a lot of things. <laughs> like first of all, this guy Telemachan, he was part of the entourage that was about to kill Falcus, who was the one person trying to find you. He was it—the only person who was out to find you. Yeah, Kane just wanted been your been. ship, and Leor just the wanted part. the ship, and you know. <laughs> And he was part of the party that, you know, stole Horace's body. I know you don't care about Horace, but you guys do care about cloning. So she says, you know, they talk about how he has no soul. So what would this clone be? He would be horrific. Blah blah blah. But no, it's cool. It's cool. Like we need to emperor's children. Let's just have you know, pink boy hanging out. I guess.
0: Yeah it just and again i think it's because this way now they have he has a representative from he has a death guard he has an embrace children guy he has a thousand sons guy he has a world eater so he has the whole pantheon represented around him in his trusted circle so that he's then chaos undivided um that's only the reason i can think of it yeah too bad kane doesn't really care about yeah his god
1: mentions then, the name hey, once and said he would never mention it again
0: he mentions it twice actually well and no but he, he, he
1: actually mentioned the name the actual yeah, name
0: oh, that's true yeah that is true yes and um, uh, yeah he does mention it twice which then the fact that he never mentioned it at all in Talon of Horus I was like oh maybe it's just an oversight because it just very casually gets dropped in this book so speaking of Horus the last thing I want to talk about in the beginning of the book Cain spends like a lot of time, like a lot, a lot of time talking about how there's something very weird about Abaddon. Mm-hmm. Something very off with him and very strange in the way that the warp moves around him. At the end of the book he kind of confronts him and asks him are you a clone of Horus? And Abaddon's like mm, what if I am? I, On one hand I'm like yeah, that's actually a really good question I don't, I don't care. Like, and I don't I don't think he is. Again, I don't you, think he is. If you read the Horus Heresy books, they talk about the only one who could have been mistaken as being a clone of him was little Horus Aximant. hmm So it just it seems like such a weird reveal or plot point to throw in here.
1: But was it really a reveal? Or was it just like the throwing out a nugget of something for people to chew on to think about over time? Because... They never confirm
0: or deny and i guess i just didn't see the the point in it maybe that's the big point part that i have like the problem that i have with it too is that ezekiel kind of dodges the question um yeah he kind of dodges the question in the way that he says um because he says uh let's see so yet again we come back to trust my brother so it seems and then he does say he's like what does it matter it doesn't even matter if that's the truth so he does he does demure out of it but he also doesn't deny it
1: but i think that was abaddon just like i don't have to explain anything to you
0: that's true too and to be fair he doesn't
1: right and he doesn't want to yeah i don't blame him either and he's, either. Probably, and he's probably also thinking if he's not and i don't believe he is a clone of Horus. like this is like the dumbest question anyone has ever asked me like there's no reason for me to answer it because it's so dumb Mm-hmm. but Kane believes he is Kane doesn't know what he believes okay that's actually probably valid
0: Um, I just it, it felt like kind of a waste of page space if I'm gonna put a fine point on it honestly again I really liked I liked the parts of this there were so many good scenes in it but overall I'm not sure that Aaron dembski Bowden was feeling it it just didn't seem to fit in with the overall idea. I'm like, okay, so
1: yes, I knew that they had to get out of the eye somehow, but did we really need like 364 pages on them getting out of the eye just to get to Sigismund? I mean, I mean, cause to me, like building up his empire or whatever already happened. Right. In, in the other book, I didn't need... I mean, I assumed there was going to be, you know, fights for scraps and, and all that. I really didn't care to learn about any of it. And what was the point of any
0: of it? Right. And, you know, honestly, the other thing, too, the whole jaunt down to... um, Oh, shoot. What is the name of that planet? The whole... It's Malchium or something like that. Malsium. The whole jaunt down to that planet just so that they can find Moriana. That felt weird too. Like, again, it just it felt like a lot of page space to have one thing happen. And the whole Deravik thing, I don't. I mean the only thing I could see that that would have future
1: uh, reparations is just because not reparations, but um, ripples is um, because now he's out of the eye too. And uh, I mean, but Deravik, never mind, Deravik is killed. He's, exactly. he's killed. Exactly. He gets killed. He is killed. He is dead.
0: Yeah. No, so he, he
1: gets killed. You're right. So I mean, so now you got some, you know, death guard, I guess, running around, but you always did because Mortarian and Typhus were hanging out and spreading the cold and Yeah. So Exactly. Yeah. So I was trying to find a point to it and then I realized there is no point to it. <laughs> it's just kind of a cool
0: story, as you said. Like cool story, bro. Oh, okay. That's neat. There's a um, there's an author that I like and his name just totally escaped me. I think it's John Landon. Um, he wrote a book called uh, The Fisherman and another one that also, I'm having total brain fart. It's been a really long week, you guys. Um, they're two horror novels. I really like them, but they're told in that Melville style where it's kind of this rambling stream of consciousness. And this was very Melville to me too, in that it was just like, I have an interesting story to tell you. Like, this would have been the best. I met this guy at a bar. He told me all this cool stuff. Like, it, it felt like a drinking buddy story, right? <laughs> <laughs> like a, okay, tell me I'm wrong.
1: No, like, that's why I'm laughing. It's funny because it's true.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> say what you will about Moby Dick, but the way that it's written. I'll say a lot about Moby Dick. Well, will we all, but the way that it's written and the way that Ishmael narrates the book, it's very much like you're sitting at a bar with a guy and he's like, have I got a story for you? So this reminds me of like a bar story, which not a bad thing. Just with a, uh, a less uh,
1: whale symbolism.
0: Yes, um, and you know, ruminations on the nature of evil and corruption. Um, but this, I guess I like it. It's not a bad book by any means. I just, yeah, I wish That's I would so, have seen like, a greater point in place.
1: So the, th- the things that I, I liked from it um, it, his explanations for the mutations of the Chaos Marines—that was just, so awesome, you know—and his ex, just really his explanations, um, of just kind of like why things are way that they are in, in the Warp. Um, you know, I love this quote with the God Emperor. Uh, it's like he was betrayed by his sons, then betrayed by his own
0: empire, since they are worshiping him. Um, well, I said, this, I said this in my article, and I stand by this. In a lot of ways, this feels like a professor's lecture or treatise, or treatise, if you will, on the nature of being a traitor. Oh, shit. Is this thing in iambic
1: pentameter? I will. <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> I will
0: burn this book and then buy another copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Like, a lot of it, as you said, it's kind of, like, an interesting, um, yeah, it's more like an interesting, like, primer to what it's like to be on the the warp and be part of Avedon's merry crew. Um, Even just leading up to them with the we are returned, right? Like, just. Right. Just leading up to that. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many scenes in here. As I said, I loved the parts. Mm -hmm. I just didn't love the whole.
1: But one thing that I really liked, I want to read this one little passage. Yeah. I really like, because um, I am, I admit 100%, I am a Magnus apologist. Because I believe that Magnus, he is the epitome of the road, I guess, to chaos, is paved with good intentions. Um, With him studying the warp, Um, you know, he tried to intercede for Horus. He wanted to go tell his father and then the space wolves came and decided we're just gonna have a crazy party here and <laughs> burn the whole place down um and even though the emperor's like okay you just stay right there like stay there it's all good he still was like no 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 i must go must go warn you and i'm gonna go warn you through the one way that you told me not to go that you know this really cool guy named zinch just told me about um but again it was like he did this to warn everybody and it came, it was for naught it's just you know it's trying to stop things and it just didn't happen so one thing that uh kane did discuss it was on page 174 the more i learned of the warp the more the emperor's mandate made sense i, oh, could, I, loved this I quote. could not pass the opportunity for power now not when those around me showed no such restraint But I could see why the Emperor
0: had commanded us to do so. The more familiar I became with the realm behind the veil, the more I mourned the thousand sons and our blind arrogance had believed we knew everything worth knowing. I highlighted that as well. Yeah. It was, it was such a good, and that's, that's another reason that like, I feel like on occasion he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, but I did like that he says that that when he said i actually read that aloud to my husband because when i got to it i was like this is probably the deepest and best revelation in this whole book
1: which, which that- also goes back to why he doesn't hate the emperor you know at the right. time you know they were teenagers like you don't know me like you don't know everything dad right. like, we're gonna right. do this on our own oh oh shit um like, wow oh it's like yeah. my kids all the time and you had go through it i'm sure with with your daughter that they insist that you don't know these things and you try to warn them like no you shouldn't do that and you're like whatever and they go do it and then they hurt themselves and you're like mm,
0: i kind of know what i'm talking about sometimes i kind of feel like willy wonka sometimes no stop don't <laughs> come back <laughs> exactly this is going to be a life lesson right here um even though <laughs> The Emperor was a little stronger worded than that. But yeah, no, I mean, he definitely I am not a Magnus apologist. But and I, I you're do You're very understand. black and white. It's because I love the Chaos Legion, so I know chaos. <laughs> when I say something's heresy, I speak from a point of expert.
1: And there's plenty uh, of chaos to be had. That's true. <laughs> I mean, um,
0: Magnus I'm, just lost his I. It's just, true. I mean, you're not wrong. He definitely, he wanted to help. He really did. He, it's. I mean, it's also like Araman. We've said this before with Araman. He, he had he, best intentions. Right. But, sadly. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, so the think,
1: road to chaos and heresy is paved with good
0: intentions, evidently. It's the truth. So I think overall, I'm glad we read it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the next book. Um, I am cautiously... Looking forward to the next book. Yes. Having said that, I'm looking forward to the next book, but if it... If it keeps meandering as much as this one does, I'm... I'm gonna be a little disappointed.
1: Then it will become the
0: Wheel of Time. Exactly. The only thing that's missing is descriptions of what they were eating and what dress somebody was wearing.
1: Well, and that's because they don't eat.
0: Well, that's true, because they don't have farms.
1: Well, no. There was description of them eating when they ate the brain.
0: I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes, When they were like, hmm, yummy, this is quite delectable. And here's how we do it, and here's when other people do it. and Oh, lovely. Yeah, that actually did start to... That did start to jaunt into Robert Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyways, do you want to take us out?
1: Well, before we wrap <laughs> up, we had a brief giveaway this we did. week. Uh, I wanted it to be longer, but as usual, I couldn't get my shit together. So here we are. Um, but because... I'm a dumbass I have two copies of the Black Legion (laughs) and so I was giving one away and basically we asked a question to be answered and whoever got it correct got two entries and whoever just followed us on Twitter got one entry well we only had one person get the answer right and the question was what has Jen what is Carrie's Mornival because Jen has declared that something is my Mornival and the answer is actually have one right here my funko pops because i have i don't think i have 400 the way that horace does in this one uh primark description but or maybe i do man i don't want to count them but yeah So
0: i I wouldn't want to count them
1: so but our winner is jason marshall so uh, i will be dming you soon for your address i will mail you your own copy of the black legion i hope you've read talon
0: horace first though yeah, you should do the thing. Otherwise, there will be a lot of stuff in here that you're going to be a little confused about. Um, but thank you, Jason. Thank you for listening. And oh, yes. thank we'll you paying
1: attention for the future. Yeah, paying attention to our random little things we put on Twitter every now and then. <laughs> uh, but you have listened to the Warhammer 40k Book Club episode regarding the Black Legion. Be sure to look at. Be sure to join us for our next book when we look into something completely different. A loyalist Space Marines chapter written by Aaron Bowden. Spear of the Emperor. Oh, it's like so shiny. It reflects. It's so shiny. Ooh,
0: shiny. It's, it's just the it's just the, the Space Marine that's shiny. I there know. Up, it's so which cool. Which is so cool. My copy is currently being read by my husband, so I can't demonstrate oh, it. Oh well, you so, you, so the hardback is already out. Um the
1: ebook is out. The paperback will not be out until December, if that's what you're waiting on. The audiobook is also available if, you're, if that is what you prefer. So we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and the podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those wonderful things to the Vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from McCrag. Good night, everybody.
0: Good night. <laughs>